Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. It's Monday, the 28th of October. I don't know what you had planned for October, but uh, your time to do it is getting short. I should probably just lay claim to that myself. Carmen, those things that you plan to get done in October, um, time to do so is getting short. Uh, This is going to be a really fun week. We are going to deal with Halloween a little bit later in the week. We are going to deal with Reformation Day. The day of the Protestant Reformation, I mean, it's at least the day we sort of celebrate it. It's not exactly, you know, it's not It's not like you can capture the whole thing in a day, but we try to. Um, and today we are leading off with the big headline news, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Uh, President Trump announced yesterday morning that U.S. Special Forces uh, had uh, raided a compound where ISIS or ISIL or Daesh leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was holed up. He is the self-declared caliph of the self-declared Islamic State globally. And uh, during that night raid, U.S. Special Forces were were successful not only in clearing the compound, but uh, al-Baghdadi sought to escape through a tunnel, which was uh, a dead-end tunnel. Tragically, he chose to take three of his children with him into that dead-end tunnel and ultimately detonated a suicide vest, killing himself and the three children. The president described him as vicious and violent and dying in a vicious and violent way. The president described him as a coward um, and uh, and said this during a White House speech yesterday. Baghdadi's demise demonstrates America's relentless pursuit of terrorist leaders and our commitment to the enduring and total defeat of ISIS. So I think that... Um, uh, first of all, this is news that you absolutely need to be aware of today. Uh, and then I think that it's important for me to say that uh, the media has had time to react and respond in a variety of ways to this event. And folks around the globe have had an opportunity to respond and post their responses. And so we're going to talk uh, about this briefly uh, at the outset of the show with Nick Pitts. But we're also going to return to this topic at the end of the second hour when David uh, Aikman is here from the UK. And we're going to talk a little bit with him more about global responses. So um, next up, Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. You can check out what he's doing at thebriefing.net. He and I are going to survey the headline news, bring the mind of Christ to bear, and send you out with great inspiration. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Going to talk with Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. Welcome back, my friend. 
So good to be with you, Carmen. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. So I think that the uh, one of the biggest challenges when we receive news like the death of ISIS leader um, Abu Akhar al-Baghdadi is that we want to dance on his grave, and we as Christians are not going to do that today. Um, I also think it's a great day for us to talk about justice. One of the statements made yesterday is uh, was this, the world's, I'm going to scroll back in, in my headline that I'm looking at, uh, the world's number one terrorist leader was brought to justice. Um, so let's uh, let's start with that. It is your lead at thebriefing.net. Let's just reflect for a moment on um, on the death of this individual. And then one of the things that I want to talk with you about is we, we have not yet defeated the ideology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you may bring up a great point. So Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, um, uh, it's in our twist of ironic fate, SNL aired a sketch on Saturday night that uh, kind of – Saturday Night Live the, for those uh, not – Paying attention. Yeah. So aired a, aired a sketch that depicted President Trump as making ISIS great again. Well, on that very same day, he has just received news that uh, that they have taken out the leader of ISIS. And so we're finding ourselves amidst there's a multitude of conflicts and tensions we find ourselves amidst in the midst of this. So al-Baghdadi was uh, over the past five years, he's led what's known as ISIS, the uh, Islamic State, uh, what have you, goes by a variety of names. And we find ourselves in a tension because as Christians, we know we know it to be true from Second Peter three that God doesn't desire any to perish, but that all that might come to a saving knowledge of Him. But we also know that God has an equal passion for justice as well. And Baghdadi is an individual that has killed unknown thousands. He has repeatedly raped and boasted about his rape women. He's tortured uh, tortured prisoners. He has kidnapped hundreds of thousands of children. He was just an individual that utilized a, a religion, radicalized it in such a way that brought about evil and terror across the world. 40,000 men and women from over 100 countries flocked to him uh, with his under his leadership. And today, uh, the, this ideology remains without a leader, but we do know that it can be very quickly replaced if the past is any indication. So I think that's where I, I want um, you know Christians' attention to be today. There are uh, you know there are literally tens of thousands of followers of this individual who today are uh, looking for another head, right? I mean, at least at some level, um, there there would be people who would now be open to the fact that uh, the person who they thought was the caliph who was going to lead them into not only uh, some sort of ecstatic religious experience, but also lead them to temporal, uh, you know, positive temporal experiences here on the earth. Um, we need to, uh, I mean, there's a gospel opportunity, and I, I, I don't want Christians to miss the fact that the reason people follow people like al-Baghdadi is because we are not doing a good job in flaming their hearts that uh, God has a future and a hope for them. Like despair yeah. is what leads people to follow people like him. Yeah. I, so it's really important just to be able to, let's clarify some terms. And so you, you've alluded to it, and I just want to specify. So you've got the caliph, who is the head, who's the leader of this organization. And then you get the caliphate, which is literally a state. So the promise that what al-Baghdadi was saying was that he fulfilled the 10-plus criteria that it takes to be a caliph, a head of the state, and two, he had secured a state, a, a literally a piece of land that was upwards of almost two-thirds of Iraq and Syria, that he had secured that in order that he could 
enact Sharia law, ways the ways of Islam, uh, because he, he thought that would be attractive enough and that would be an alluring piece that would cause more and more individuals to come and to be a part of this Islamic way of life. Well, this morning, what we found, what we know now is there's no longer a caliphate. There's no, they no longer have a secured piece of land. Uh, President Trump and the, uh, these administration officials have eradicated any sense of their land by taking back that land. And now we also learn over the weekend that al-Baghdadi has now lost his life. Uh, he blew himself up in a cowardly act and ended up killing uh, other innocent individuals as well. And so now in, there's thousands of individuals that re recognize that they no longer have a leader, one, they no longer have a state, two, it leaves a gaping hole, what we know to be true, that you are following after a man that could not meet your expectations and you're trying to find a place in which you could find the fullness of life. All of that is, and more so is satisfied in a man named Jesus that didn't kill himself but laid his life down in order that others may be able to live. Amen. Amen. So I just want to encourage people today that when we talk about, um, you know, defeating uh, ISIS, we are talking about not only the military actions that have now taken place to um, uh, to liberate the people in, in the land where um, al-Baghdadi and others had sought to establish a caliphate. That no longer exists, as Nick has just pointed out. And now the caliph is gone as well. Um, but we still need to defeat the ideology and we still need to spread the gospel, yep. right? We have to, to as Ty, I think as Thomas Chalmers put it, like, right, there's an expulsive power of a new affection. And yep. the reason the, the reason in large measure that many, many people were following this individual and this ideology is they are desperate. There is very little opportunity where they where they live. Um, there's a generation of people around the globe who do not see a future and a hope. And we as Christians need to help them uh, see that. Hey, Nick, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Kanye West. That's the next. Uh, and Chick-fil-A and Burger King. Like this sounds like an interesting um, uh, mixture of headlines. That's what you have as number two today at thebriefing.net. So we want to talk about that. Nick Pitts is here from the Institute for Global Engagement, and we'll be right back. All right, we... Uh, we celebrated Jesus is King and hashtag Jesus is King on Friday. Uh, the album actually finally dropped. Kanye West in it includes a song that really is an ode to Chick-fil-A. I mean, I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Nick, what's going on here? Oh, my goodness. Can, what a time to be alive. It is 2019. Uh, the former uh, uh, TV show host of The Apprentice is president and Kanye West has now made a worship album. What a time to be alive. So uh, Kanye dropped his long-awaited album uh, on Friday, and it is a power—it's just a powerful worship album, just to say the very least. And there is, uh, there's obviously a reference. The Chick-fil-A, the, the fast food company, has been so closely aligned with Christian values. One, because the Cathy's have been so captivated as well, so obedient to be explicit in the claims and their Christian foundation. And so with that tie, he brought it in just as rappers tend to do. They bring in cultural references to make significant points. And he uh, made a point about Chick-fil-A. You're my Chick-fil-A. You're my number one, the devotion that Chick-fil-A has to God. He's talking about 
alluding to that. And and so that in turn has caused a little bit of controversy because of our Twitter world that individual their Burger King responded back that we're open on Sunday, which is just a uh, trying to be a clever ploy to be the Popeye, the new Popeyes to get a little bit of a wave. But nevertheless, Kanye West new album out. It's a it's a phenomenal album. I would I would highly recommend it to any of your listeners. So here's something that kind of surprised me about the Burger King response. It's mm-hmm. first of all, it's just petty. Yeah, yeah. It's just a petty response. And I feel like it was maybe last week, it might have been the week before that. Burger King actually did something that was kind of self-sacrificial. They suspended the sale of the Whopper for a day in some kind of joint advocacy with McDonald's because mm-hmm. McDonald's was doing something positive and so Burger King was like, we're going to suspend the sale of the Whopper for a day. In, in, in sort of point people, direct people to this social good, whatever, I can't remember what it was now, that McDonald's was doing. And then, like, immediately they sort of, like, undo all of the social good, that they all of the capital that they might have earned by by doing that in a yeah, tweet saying, you know, Nanny, we're open on Sunday. Like, I'm just like, ugh. Anyway, you know, okay. It's so fascinating what social media can do. Just a little spark of kindling has the propensity to either spur so much goodwill, like we're thinking about with Popeye's, uh, with hundreds of millions of dollars worth of advertisement that came out of that feud that they had with Chick-fil-A. But mm-hmm. like you've alluded to, it can do so much bad as well with this little uh, tick for tat that they offered up. Which is a good reminder to Christians today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Let's yeah. Be careful on social media. OK, let's talk about California. The governor in California has declared a statewide emergency. Um, wildfires are now burning out of control. There is a mass evacu- evacuation underway. Tell us what's happening there. Yeah, so uh, Governor of California, uh, they've already been having some of the, their electric company, PNG, has already been, uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, they were doing the voluntary blackouts trying to make sure that there wasn't going to be any potential wildfires. Well, lo and behold, the Kincaid fire has broken out, uh, started at the end of last week, really broke out and just spread over the weekend. 180,000 people out of Sonoma have been evacuated. There's more. There's some with evidence that over 3,000 firefighters are fighting this Kincaid fire, assisted by 50 helicopters. And this is just. It's an again, yet again. Uh, it just is mind-boggling that a state that has as much resources as California does continues to battle these pernicious fires year in and year out. Um, but from a Christian perspective, I was. I just was captivated through some reading over the weekend that every storm has a bit in its mouth, that even though it appears as though it's uncontrollable, we know it to be true that God is before all things and he holds all things together. And somehow, even in the midst of all this loss and tragedy, that God has a propensity to be able to bring good out of even bad. You know, there's this, in the midst of the fire, it's hard to have any anything but just this outpouring of heartfelt compassion for people who are fleeing in fear and, you know, whose personal property is literally going up in flames and praying for mm-hmm. first responders and firefighters. But I think as Christians, um, taking the step back and remembering there is this purifying, renewing effect. And mm-hmm. in terms of our own lives and discipleship and what God is doing right now. And so I, um, you know, it always makes me consider what's the what's the untended dead underbrush in my own life that really needs yeah. to be consumed, right? That yeah. you know, if God's going to send His consuming fire today in my life, um, there there is there's trash laying around that's going to be consumed. There is dead there's dead wood in my life, and um, yeah, and it, you know, it's a 
it, and this is one of the things that I think it's really important for Christians just to be able to capture. And if we look back to the past, throughout every tragedy, and one one we can just lament and mourn the loss that happens. No one no one wants to go through this. No one should have to go through this. But every opportunity, every tragedy has provided beautiful opportunities that we will never be able to account all the good that has happened and the significance of the good that's happened. Remember that uh, here in here in Texas when Hurricane Harvey struck, it was it was absolutely sad, the loss of life, the loss of property, so much damage that was caused. But how warming was it to the heart to see the thousands of people that came from all across the country to offer a helping hand, the Cajun Navy and all these other entities that came to help a helping hand during this tragedy. Yes, full stop. It's absolutely tragic what's happening. But we even we can't begin to calculate as easy as we can loss the significant gains that are made from a spiritual perspective as well as from a social capital perspective. So I want to skip ahead in today's um, briefing. So you guys can go to thebriefing.net and you can see everything that uh, Nick has posted for today. But I am scrolling down the page to a good news story. Um, you lead with this man who refused to leave girlfriend after cancer diagnosis proposes at final treatment. Tell us, is that um, a- this is such an inspiring story and I have one to share to reflect on. So, uh, so go ahead and tell us what happens in this one. Yeah, this, uh, uh, a man starts dating this girl. She receives, uh, she receives tragic news that she's been stricken with cancer and instead of moving away, instead of breaking it off because it's going to be too hard, what he does, he walks with her through it, continues to be a support to her, breathes new life into her until the final cancer treatment. And there's just this absolutely gripping video. Just be prepared. I think I think there was like dust in the air. My eyes began to water. I don't know what was happening when I was watching the video. But nevertheless, at the very end of the video, what you see is after she's gone through all that she's gone through after after over a year, he proposes to her. And it's just this beautiful reminder of the vows that we traditionally give here in the West, that through thick or thin, through thick or thin, in sickness and in health, he will be there for not only as he's done in the past, but as he commits himself into the future toward this girl. It is it's absolutely a beautiful video to yet again remind us that there is a lot of good that can come out of sorrow. So uh, my sister's in town for a meeting and she and I uh, had like middle of the afternoon. It was either lunch or dinner. I don't know. With these friends of ours whose wedding we attended a year ago. And when they walked down the aisle, they both knew that he had recently been diagnosed with cancer. Um, And these are young, 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 young people. Um, And so when they stood there and they took those vows to each other, um, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, Kaylee was taking those vows knowing that she was walking into an absolutely uncertain future with this young man. And um, obviously, since we had dinner with them a year later, which is yesterday, um, uh, you know, he has not only survived that surgery, um, but he has since then recovered from uh, a car accident and gout. And I mean, the list is long. Um, and they are now like literally on, you know, on their feet and doing great. And um, and he's finishing his education. And I just it's just one of those. Re- their marriage is stronger because they entered into it with with a certainty in who God is and in, in, in their love for one another. But total uncertainty about all the things that we like to check off the boxes for in advance. Mm-hmm. And, and just so a brave, Yeah. 
So redemptive. All right, you and I have to leave it right there. We could talk all day. I love talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Nick Pitts. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. The easiest place to find him is thebriefing.net. Go check it out. We'll be right back. Close on Sunday. You my Chick-fil-A. Close on Sunday. Okay, I know there are some of you that are thinking to yourselves right now, that does not sound to me like worship music. Um, And so I do want to just say that the album, I mean, or project, Jesus is King by Kanye West, um, is probably not for a lot of people the kind or style of worship music that you are uh, accustomed to nor looking for in your own life. But um, for hip hop fans, it is. Okay, uh, Ruth Kramer is up next from Mission Network News. She and I are going to survey some of the international headlines. We're going to talk about uh, the struggle, frankly, of our Christian brothers and sisters in places right now like Lebanon and Turkey. And we're going to talk about China as well. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ, and it's clear that God loves his people and wants us to love him above all else. Um, and I think that when we we think about the church, we look at the book of Acts, and then we look around at our own churches, and we're like, hmm, it doesn't really necessarily feel like that. Well, there's an author whose name is Francis Chan, uh, who you should absolutely check out on YouTube if you've never done so. Um, he explores the true purposes of church, and he calls believers to once again become Christ Bride and his new book, Letters to the Church. And we're actually giving away three copies this week. So you can enter to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. Francis Chan's Letters to the Church. You can uh, enter to win at MyFaithRadio.com. Do you know how much you need to retire? If not, you're not alone. About 80% of Americans are not prepared for retirement. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. We often think about retirement as a lavish, all-expenses-paid vacation, and that can feel impossible to attain. But really, does that view of retirement reflect your faith and your values? Rather than assuming you'll always need more when you retire, why don't you stop and consider how much is enough for you in retirement? Then, find a financial professional you trust one who will listen and help you use your finances as a tool to live out your faith. Working together, you can create a strategy to help you turn your vision into reality. So ask God for direction when it comes to preparing for retirement, and then start to put the pieces in place. And keep in mind one thing, God has a plan for your life, including your retirement. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back. Joined again today by Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I would, uh, I've been reading several headlines out of China that are most disturbing in relationship to what is happening to Christian churches in China um, and to Christians in China. Um, and you guys have a great piece posted at Mission Network News, which folks can find at mnnonline.org, entitled China turns hostile toward foreign visitors. Tell us what's happening. Well, some of this uh, story was was precipitated by the arrests of two Americans, 
recently, and I, I would say maybe the end of September is when we actually found out that they had been detained. Uh, two Christians, or I mean, I'm sorry, they're not necessarily Christians. They are two Americans who've been detained uh, in apparent retaliation for the arrest of a Chinese official in New York. Um, these two then were accused of a lot of different things, of like getting people uh, into and out across the border in China illegally. Um, but they were running a an organization called China Horizons, which really employed people to teach English in China. So they employed foreigners to come into the country and then uh, would teach English classes to people who wanted to learn how to speak the language. Um, so right now, what we're understanding is that the, the two people, Jacob Harlan and Alyssa Peterson, uh, remain in China. Um, one is under house arrest. The other remains in, in prison. Um, they do have access to counsel, um, but right now we don't really know how they're going to get out of the country or any of the things that are going to surround this particular case. Um, the thing that causes us concern, though, is that this is a situation where China is using these people as leverage um, and that it's been, in, in addition to all of the other things that are targeting Christians, uh, that uh, leads uh, to a specific concern that's expressed by one of our partners um, through China Aid. Um, Bob Fu leads that organization. And about 10 days ago, he posted something on his Facebook page that is probably one of the most um, black and white statements that I've seen him actually post regarding Christian brothers and sisters who are going in and out of China to assist with gospel work. And I'm going to read this in part as, as, as part of a statement. He said, it's time for the foreigner Christians to consider urgent temporary exit from China because the danger is real. Uh, she, that is President Xi, has acted irrationally and unreasonably. Reliable sources from inside the Communist Party told us that Chinese Communist regime is about to launch an anti-foreign Christian campaign. It could be another boxer rebellion type of serious consequence. Um, and that's just part of what he was saying in his statement in terms of warning people about the changing circumstances in China. So I, I wanted to put this out there uh, and ask the body of Christ, ask believers in North America, uh, those of us who are just kind of observing the situation from outside, to pray for the body of Christ within China. They are looking at the paradigm shift to, in a situation where religious freedom is changing so fast that it's hard to keep up with what's actually going on. Um, and seeing things that are actually starting to be enforced that have been on the books for a while, but because nobody enforced things uh, strictly, you know, the body of Christ was still able to to work, and you still heard things about how fast people respond to the gospel, how large the the Christian body was growing in China, and that's not saying it's not gonna it, it'll it'll shrink or you know um, stop the gospel from getting out, but what it is saying is that the older generation is recognizing a situation that is very familiar to them, and that the new generation of Christians and the leaders are completely. Uh, flat-footed right now. And so you're going to see a lot of the newer Christian leaders relying on the expertise of the older generation because they've never dealt with us before. So again, I'm talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about at mnnonline.org. Um, Ruth, on the uh, on the China Aid website, which is chinaaid.org, for those uh, who are listening and want to check it out, one of the um, one of the stories that I have been following uh, is the demolition of this three thousand member mega church in China. Um, that during the worship service, when the sanctuary was full of worshiping Christians, um, the the government actually showed up and with heavy equipment 
demolished, I mean, demolished the sanctuary. Um, and the church is not going to be compensated for this loss of property. Um, the Chinese government have has said something like, we are renovating the area. <laughs> renovating the area. Uh, I mean, tearing down a church while people are worshiping inside. I think that um, uh, you and I are not overstating things when we talk about the the very real shift that has taken place in China and is taking place in China in terms of the status of Christians there. Yeah, I don't. I, we're not over exaggerating the situation. In fact, what's what's happening is that the destruction of these churches that are no longer just the underground churches, but also the registered churches, um, is so common. Uh, commonplace that it's not always being reported. This one got noticed because it's so big and because people were in the sanctuary when the government showed up. But it's been going on uh, probably since the Olympics took place in Beijing. And um, now it's also including churches that were once safe. Uh, the, The government has really begun to step up and start enforcing things. And you could say, you know, in terms of their their expansion, um, that they are looking at a beautifying project or that they needed the land because uh, they're overcrowded and they're trying to build a new town or a new city or a new uh, housing project or whatever. And because there are these agreements on um, that the churches have with the government about the land uh, on which their building sits, sometimes they come out on the losing end, and it's a legal kind of a situation. So a lot of the churches are facing some challenges like this. Um, although, you know, at the same time, while it's discouraging, you know, just imagine your church that you've helped to build with your own two hands. Uh, you're, you're sitting there worshiping and a government comes down and just destroys your, the work of your hands. How discouraging that would be. And yet there are stories that are also coming out about these congregations coming back together on the land and continuing to worship in the open. Um, it It's still happening. And so just remember that uh, the Lord is supreme. And that he is in control of all of these things. And even though these are really difficult stories to hear and discouraging and disheartening, um, taking a step back from that and looking at the big picture, uh, in spite of all of this stuff that's happening, who is the Christ that we serve that would engender this kind of devotion that in spite of you know, the, the, the most extreme circumstances, people will come back and identify themselves openly with following Christ and worshiping him. Absolutely. Um, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, let's pivot and have a conversation about what's going on in Lebanon. Uh, initially, I was going to ask you about what was happening with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. But now uh, we also have a, a very real crisis in terms of uh, protests. So I'm going to have that conversation next with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We'll be right back. Returning to my conversation now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, what is happening in Lebanon? Well, right now you've got a series of protests. It kind of depends on who you talk to. Uh, You know, obviously the lens of the camera is often what you see if you were to look up stories, say, on the Google News page or whatever, and you see burning cars and, and you hear about the violence of the protests. But by and large... The younger generation of Lebanon is just fed up with the situation, with taxation, with the failing economy, with the unemployment rate, with the inflation rate, all of the things that are really, really difficult um, to make life doable in Lebanon. And the situation that we saw in Greece a couple of years back 
is very similar to what we're seeing right now in Lebanon, where the younger generation is coming up and saying, you know, you tried these things with our grandparents and it didn't work for them either. It's not working for us and we want a new government with fresh ideas uh, and no corruption or less corruption. Let's just say less corruption. Um, and that's what they're protesting about. Um, you can also see that uh, the Lebanese so far have been mainly peaceful in their protests. Uh, there's a there's a meme that's I don't know if we call it a meme, but a clip that's going around on social media of a group of protesters who were surrounding a car, and the mother inside the car was saying, "Hey, can you guys just tone it down because you're scaring my kid, child being 15 months old," and. The, the men who were surrounding her car as protesters uh, decided they were going to try to comfort this kid, and they started singing Baby Shark just to try to bring some comfort to a child who was a, a little unsettled about the situation. So that doesn't strike, you know, it doesn't really describe a, a violent situation uh, with the thousands of people who are protesting a government and asking for change. They're asking for a new um, election. Um, the situation there is um, very fluid because the prime minister has basically said to the parliament, you need to vote in this tax package with the tax hike, which is almost double on some areas uh, that uh, social media and, and some of the services um, that it was before. And he says, you have to do this because we need to be in austerity or we're going to go belly up. And the issue with the austerity measures is that nobody can afford them. So the parliament stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either have to reform a government or you vote on something and everybody in the streets gets really angry. And so um, pray for the ministries that are in Lebanon right now because there's a lot of pressure building on them. They can't get to work right now. A lot of them have been shut down for the last couple of weeks because it's just impossible to navigate the streets that are so full of protesters. Um, pray that the, the, the protests stay peaceful. Because it would just take one thing, one incident, and it would just be a conflagration, which we don't want to see in Lebanon because it's already a difficult place um, with so many of the challenges. And one of the other challenges is how to deal with the refugee situation because that is yet another pressure on Lebanon. Um, they, they're, you know, a third of the population are Syrian refugees. And because you have so few jobs, because you have so few uh, because the, the, the money has been um, losing its value, uh, it has been very difficult for people to want to help the Syrian refugees. Um, and, and then when you see a lot of other situations taking place, um, the government's trying to, to actually respond by kicking the Syrian refugees back out, destroying their camps, and telling them, don't get comfortable because we don't want you here long term. So I think, Ruth, the situation of the Syrian refugees, we have millions of them in Turkey, and we've been paying attention to that side of the story in terms of uh, Turkey working uh, through its own military to really clean out the, uh, the Kurdish population from a particular geography in northeastern Syria in order that Turkey can send Syrian refugees who are not from that part of Syria, but this is Turkey's plan to, you know, re repatriate or populate this region of Syria with um, with Syrian refugees in part to get them out of Turkey. Lebanon is under um, even greater stress when we talk about Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And uh, I mean, just the numbers are staggering. If if Americans would think for just a moment 
if a third of the population where you live, literally one out of every three people was stateless, was a refugee from a foreign country and had nothing. Literally, these people are destitute. They have nothing. And they've now been in your country um, for a number of years and there's no hope of returning home. Like that's what's going on. And I I don't know that um, that anybody has proposed a a reasonable um, life affirming solution to this crisis. Because there isn't a good solution. People, hmm, the, this, the refugees are in probably the worst situation because in this whole situation with Turkey and Syria, uh, you've got the Christians who've been caught in the middle of this. Um, Turkey has made it very clear they're not a front of Christians. And on the other side, some of the forces that have been fighting against Turkey uh, are also known to be extremist Islamists who are also not friends of Christians. And there's an in-between population that is moving back and forth between these enemies that are trying to wipe each other out. And uh, so you could say literally the Christians are caught in the crossfire, and they're being targeted by both sides because they're being looked at as the ones that don't matter, as the collateral damage, and um, as the drain on on the system. So they're really in a difficult, difficult place. It causes a lot of desperation. The, the refugee camps, Syrian refugee camps in Turkey, in at the edges of Syria, in Lebanon, are some of the most depressing places to be. They're widely overcrowded. The services are just not there to be able to support them. In Lebanon, uh, Syrian refugees can't legally work, um, but they still have to rent the land that their tent sits on, and they have to pay utilities because they're renting the land. Um, and so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. A lot of the things that happen, uh, that they get jobs, uh, day laborer type jobs to try to make ends meet. And when they can't make those ends meet, um, and I am speaking specifically about the refugee camps in Lebanon, they resort to some very extreme responses. Um, one of the things we heard about in, from one of our partners in Lebanon is that kids are starting to disappear. Parents are starting to bring a a concern to this partner and asking her to make sure she picks up the kids from a certain spot in the camp and then drives them to school instead of letting them walk to school because kids were starting to disappear. And so I asked the question, you know, it's horrifying enough when your child, you're worried about your child being kidnapped. Um, Are they being taken into trafficking? And she said, yes, taken into trafficking, but it's not the kind that you would think, not human labor or sex trafficking. Rather, someone is going around these refugee camps and taking these kids for organ trafficking. Mm. So now you've got that element mm. uh, that you have to deal with. And they're, they're, they're after the kids because they're the healthiest. Mm. Um, you can read some of the stories that have been coming out about organ traffickers and why they do what they do. They know they're exploiting people, mm. um, and, but there's a, there's a black market for it. That's and just so there's, that is just another layer of everything that the refugees are having to deal with. And the groups that are responding to the needs of these refugees, the Syrian refugees in Turkey, in Lebanon, and right at the edges of all of these areas, have been the Christians all along because they are commanded by Christ to respond, to love, right. to be the hands and feet of Christ, to meet some of those needs. But keeping in mind that the the, church, the believers in Lebanon have very little to work with. Yeah, so absolutely. they're sharing from their poverty, really. Um, and, and really, tr- we're trying to put this out there just to say, you know, maybe take a look at these issues from another lens 
and um, see what our response can be to walk alongside them. We have a very similar kind of a situation going down at the south of our borders, um, but is not as severe as what these people are dealing with in Turkey and in Syria. Right. Ruth, we're going to have to leave it right there. If you guys want to connect with ministries that Ruth is talking about that are on the ground uh, in Lebanon, in Syria, in China, you can find them at mnnonline.org. At the end of every article, uh, the, the related ministries contact information is available. So Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, it occurs to me that as we have um, walked through this first hour together, we have talked about the reality of ISIS and its ideology and the things done um, on its behalf and uh, and in its service that are genuinely horrific. We have talked about wildfires uh, that are driving people from their homes in California. We've talked about refugees uh, and refugees in this case are the result of civil war in Syria and all kinds of internecine fighting among Muslims. Uh, And then across the line would be um, people of minority faiths in the region, including Christians and the the impact that war, civil war among Muslims has on minority faith populations in the region. And then then that led us into uh, the consideration of human trafficking, including something that uh, I will admit I had not yet thought about yet, and that is organ trafficking. Um, So sometimes we can do this and we can say to ourselves, dear God, I mean, well, we just cry out, dear God. And I want us to cry out. uh, And I want us to recognize that although there are things that we can do, there is much that God must do. And that God is uh, the God of love and hope and grace and um, newness and new things and redemption. And those are the things that uh, I am going to speak into our lives today. Uh, God is the one who promises us a hope and a future. And he promises that not only to us, but to others as well. So let's be purveyors of that message today. God desires that you have a future and that that is a future of hope. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.